The scripture today comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. So there was a little debate going on this morning as we recognized that there was a smaller attendance. And that debate was whether it had something to do with the weather or whether word got out that I was preaching this morning. (laughs) We, We decided to agree that it had everything to do with the weather. So it's great to be with you this morning. And thank you so much, Pastor DJ, for the opportunity to share God's Word with, with uh, everyone today and also those at home. Set free to live free. I love, I love this theme that Pastor DJ picked for this series. At first I was like, that's, that's an interesting phrase when we're talking about the Ten Commandments. But when I got into studying this, I realized what a perfect perfect theme for this series. And I hope by the time that we're finished this morning, you'll recognize why it is that I feel that way. When I was growing up, our our family, we lived in the woods, and we had about seven acres of woods, and we were surrounded by either woods or cornfields all around us. And one of the things that was very important to my father was that we have a dog. Now, several of us in the family have allergies, so, so we didn't have an indoor dog, but we had, uh, we had a pen, and the dog stayed in that. Now, we had mostly black labs. If you've never been around a black Labrador retriever, I need to explain to you that these dogs are huge. And the ones that we had were generally 95 to 100 pounds in size. And I like to say that they were 100 pounds of of muscle and pure saliva. I mean, this, this dog, it just seemed like it could generate more saliva than what you could even imagine. But what would happen is generally one time a day, one of us would go out to the dog's pen, and a lot of times that was, that was my task, and because we had no neighbors close to us, we could allow our dog to just, just have some time to run every day. So we'd go out to the pen, and just as I would walk up to the gate, the dog would come running up to the gate, because it knew what was coming. It was extremely excited because it was about to be set free. And so I would open up the gate, and the dog would run as fast as you could imagine a dog running. And let me tell you, there was not a a rabbit, cat, or squirrel within a half mile that was safe, because they were all running, climbing, getting out of the way, and this dog would just be tearing around. You could stand in our backyard and just watch this thing just run, 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 run all over the place, chasing, running. And then, after a little while, the dog would slow down and would come running, jogging, walking, back to the pen with its tongue hanging out to the side, saliva going everywhere, and it would just 
come back to the pen and kind of collapse, drink its water, eat some food, and hang out. Because that's what the dog was conditioned to do. It was set free, but it wasn't equipped to live free. And so it came back to what it knew. This happens to so many of us in life. We go through different experiences and we're extremely excited because it's like, wow, I'm about to be set free. Maybe, maybe someone was in a, in a job that they, they maybe enjoyed it, but they got to the point where they started a new one. Or they get through life and maybe they retire from that job. So it wasn't that the job was a burden, but a new day had come. So they were set free from what it is that they did before, and now they were entering into a new stage. I, I think back to when Jen and I, which is, goodness, our, our youngest will turn, I mean, our oldest will turn 25 in May. And I'm like, okay, 25 years of parenting. When, when we first started parenting, it was like we were set free from the life that had come before and we had entered into something new. But it was amazing. Over these last 25 years, the number of times Jen and I have been able to say that, wow, I feel like we've just come back to where we were before. Some habits and some thinking that we used to have many years ago. Why is that? We're set free, but we don't always live free as we get into a new stage. I think I'm probably not the only one in the room or those listening at home that have gone through this. And what is so interesting for me is that God's Word speaks directly to this issue of being set free but then trying to figure out, well, how do we live free? We were set free through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Through Christ, we have a new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that we're a new creation. But just because we're created new and we're set free and we have this new life to just run into doesn't mean that we're going to be able to do that without being drawn back to some of the patterns and some of the life choices that we had before. And so God's Word speaks to this, and I think it's amazing how God does it, because we can go and we can stare at a group of people that were even more dazed and confused than what we even are. And, and it's, uh, it's incredible how God does that sometimes. But, but here, we look in the book of Exodus. Those not familiar with Scripture, or with the Bible, the second book of the Bible. And we look in Exodus, and we see this group of people. And if you were listening last week to Pastor DJ, you heard Pastor DJ speak about the Hebrew people. Now, Hebrew people and Israelite people, they sometimes are, are interchangeable in our thinking, and yet the Hebrews were really the lowest caste, the lowest group of people in the, uh, the Egyptian society. 
And so when we say that the Hebrews, it was like this whole group of people. And we come upon them after they had been down there, they being the Israelites that went down into Egypt and then got joined by some others. They were there for 400 years. And after 400 years, they suddenly get this opportunity to be set free. And sometimes when we read about these people in the Bible, we read about them and we go, why do they make so many stupid decisions? Because they do some pretty, pretty boneheaded, like, why are they, why are they doing that? It, it, we look in the book of Exodus and we see this group of people. So they're let out of slavery and then they start to grumble. They grumble because the Egyptians are chasing them. Then they grumble because they don't have water. Then they grumble because they don't have the food that they want. Then, then they grumble because they don't have the exact type of food that they want. They grumbled and grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. In fact, they even said, why don't you take us back to Egypt? And we look at that and go, you were in slavery. Why would you want to go back to Egypt? You've been set free. But they didn't know how to live free. The slide I want to show you up in the screen. Uh, and this is a, a picture of, of a dump. And it's specifically a dump in Quito, Ecuador. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to do training for juniors and seniors in high school at a mission high school in Quito, Ecuador. And I've been brought in to do this training, but during my time there, the missionaries and uh, some of the pastoral staff of the school took me around to see different ministries that were functioning in the greater Quito area. One of the ones they took me was to the, the Quito dump, which at the time was, was one of the places for some of the most poor people on the planet. And they, they took me to this dump. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to, to see some of the people working in the dump. And I also got the chance to see a ministry that had been developed to try to help get the people out of the dump. Now, I don't know what goes into your mind when you think of what kind of ministry would help the people that were working in the dump to actually have the chance to to have a transformed life, to actually live in freedom beyond the dump life. Uh, understand, they would go to work, and their, their job was to try to find recyclables. And they would have bags, and they would run in and try to find some of recyclable bottles, little pieces of paper, things that they could fill the bag and then take the bag and try to get a little bit of money for it. Uh, many of them, the... The dump trucks would come in and they would dump all of their, the, the contents of their truck and there would be bulldozers that would push the contents over a ledge into 18-wheel trucks that could carry the materials out into the dump. When the dump trucks would dump the garbage, people would scurry in, running as fast as they could to try and grab a few of these different bottles and items before the bulldozer would push through. And the bulldozer would not slow down for anybody. 
And I was told numerous people were killed or lost limbs and whatnot because of this situation. It was, it was a horrible state. And as I was there, they took me to this one ministry that had seen success in helping people to be free and then actually to live free. To be set free, but then to actually live in freedom. For years, they had tried many ministries, and what happened? People would be set free, and they would get out in society, and they would return to the same situation. And they did that because it's what they knew. And they said most of the people working and living in the dump had been doing this for three or four generations. Three or four generations. The one ministry that had had success... A preschool. A preschool for the children and grandchildren of the people that work there. When I first heard that, I was like, what? What what do you mean? And then they explained. Absolutely no ministry had been found that could help the adults change their mind. But they had a chance if they could educate and help the children. And then as the children would grow up, They could rescue their parents and their grandparents from the thinking that they were unable to break out of. Now, I bring this up because that was three or four generations of people. When we're talking about the Hebrews, the Israelite people, and extended that were brought out of Egypt, we're talking about a group of people that was 14 generations now, we don't exactly know when they actually segued into, into slavery, but we know that they were in Egypt for 14 generations. Think about some of the systemic issues we're dealing with in the United States, and we, we have only been in existence probably about eight or nine generations, about our 250 years, and there are cycles of thinking that have not been, been broken broken that we continue to deal with. This was 400 years. Well, no wonder they came out of Egypt and had thinking that said, I'm scared, take me back to Egypt. It's the only thing they knew. And in the midst of that, we're brought to a time that Moses goes up on a mountain and he comes down with a covenant. Now, a covenant It was basically the Ten Commandments were explained. It's explained to us in Genesis and up to this point in Exodus 20. This is all this information about this group of people. But now we have the covenant between God and those people explained to us. And what is so interesting to me as I was studying was realizing that these Ten Commandments, they all dealt directly with different things that this group of people was facing every day, generation after generation after generation in Egypt. And so God, in his wisdom, allowed Moses to have Ten Commandments that would allow a group of people that had been taken out of Egypt to begin to get Egypt taken out of them. A good friend of mine, David Wolverton, love, loves that phrase. It's the first time I heard it in his book, in his book Mission Drift, which is all about uh, conflict in churches and how to, how to navigate that. 
he uses that phrase, and I love it. It's like God took the people out of Egypt, but he is still working to take Egypt out of the people, even today, even in each one of us. Now, I, I say all of this to, to bring us to this point that last week, if you did not listen to the message, I encourage you to go back and hear Pastor DJ's message so that you're tracking through this whole series. But hear what Pastor DJ said about the first commandment. I am entrusted with talking about the second commandment, which, uh, which as, we, uh, as we go through our time together today, we're going to be looking at... Idols, images, and, and for us, we're like, okay, well, that, that might not be such a, a, a big challenge as we're looking at this for us, because that's not really a thing. You know, when, when we talk about this, uh, look up there on the screen, I found an example. Um, the, when it talks about idols in Scripture, a lot of times, they're these, these little things that would have just fit in, in our hand. Uh, when I went to Evangelical Seminary, they, they used to allow us to sign out some of the stuff, and they changed the museum up there, and you're not allowed to do it anymore. If I could, if I'd have had one. You know, but, but these things, they're about this big. You know, just these little things, but, but people had them, and they represented all kinds of things. Uh, verse 4, it talks about that you're not to have a, an image, a graven image, that is uh, something... From the sky above. Now that could be everything from a bird to a star, uh, you know, a planet, you know, but, uh, but things in the sky above to the earth beneath, to the waters below. So, so crafting a, an image of, of anything, that whether it's an animal or, or something that, uh, that could draw someone's gaze and attention, those were the things that they were not supposed to do. And so, as we say that, I want us to understand that, again, before we leave, I want everyone to leave this morning with an IEP. Now, IEP in education circles, that means in individual education plan, okay? Well, for us, it is our, uh, it's our idle elimination program, all right? So, we're all going to have our IEP before we leave today, our idol elimination program. Now, first of all, I want to explain that uh, in Jeremiah chapter 2, and I'll, I'll go ahead and put this up on the screen, Jeremiah chapter 2, we're, we're first taught about how if you follow worship worthless idols, you'll become worthless yourself. Wow, that's a powerful phrase. Follow worthless idols, you'll become worthless yourself. But then we pick up with, uh, with what you can read up there on the screen. It says, But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold Water. Two sins. One, they followed idols. Two, they, they just turned, turned their eyes away from God. And now, first of all, a little explanation. We don't have cisterns today, but a cistern was something that's like a glorified well, and you'd go down 
in, you'd look down in this well, and that's where they would keep their clean water. The thought of getting water from a broken cistern is something that you wouldn't do because it would basically just be mud in the bottom of this thing. So the thought of walking by a broken cistern and then looking up and seeing a spring of living water and then turning and saying, I'll take, I'll take the muddy gup and I'll choose to drink that instead. That is what Jeremiah is saying is what we do when we choose an idol instead of God. So with that understanding, we're going to go into our IEP, our, our idol elimination program. And so if you're taking notes at home or here, I encourage you to be ready. IEP. And I want you to tell you, I want to tell you this list is not Dave Coriel's list. This list actually comes from uh, a man named Ed Stetzer, and Ed Stetzer is chair of the Wheaton College Mission Department and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Center, and he's a prolific writer, and in his book, uh, he, uh, he wrote a book that is called Christians in the Age of Outrage. Uh, interesting, interesting stuff, but he speaks to this. And one of the quotes that he has in this book is from a man named Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, that Pastor DJ has, uh, has referenced Tim Keller uh, several times in the last few weeks, and just have one quote from him, and it says, If our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, our response is complete panic. So he makes the case that we all have counterfeit gods, we all have idols, and when they are threatened in any way, complete panic. So let's take a look at these three. Uh, Three different, well, first of all, our IEP. First is identify. We need to identify our idols in order to deal with them. So we're going to identify them. Ed Stetzer says we have three categories of idols. So we're going to look at these. First category of idol is politics. Now you can see I put an elephant and a donkey up there. I did not put any pictures of any particular people because I didn't want us to have a brouhaha break out in the, in the midst of things. All right? So, and for those of you at home, stay calm, stay calm. All right, so, so we've, we've got this with this idol. We don't want to admit that we have an idol. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are people. They are people. And we have dehumanized them. We've yelled at TV screens. We've We've picked up our phones when we've gotten the news and and we've yelled in frustration at the latest thing that that said. What is wrong with us? We are the Christians. The rest of the world is supposed to act that way. They're supposed to because they don't know Christ. And and, and I'm I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else beyond myself with this. It's like this is an idol Anything. Remember, remember that quote. If our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, our response is complete panic. Complete panic. In the first area, 
Ed Stetzer speaks to is politics. The world is watching us as we rant and we rave. And what example are we giving? Second, second example here under identify. Right now we're just trying to identify our idols. The, the uh, second area is uh, identity. Now identity, and this is real quick, this could be health, wealth, status. You know, I think about health the other day when we had the storm. I was able to get into the gym, and it was, it was Ann, it was me, and, and, and our buddy Joe that uh, worships down at uh, our mother of perpetual help. But Joe, if you're watching this morning, shout out to Joe. It was the three of us at the rec center. Now, you can go to the rec center, and that can be a really good thing to try to take care of your body, to try to exercise. It also can become an idol. If you look, look in the mirror and you go, oh, oh man, too many cookies. All right, we're coming, out, we're coming out of the Christmas season. Too much of, you know, whatever. Oh, my goodness. And we panic. Okay, if we get to that panic level, it might be an idol. Whether it's, whether it's how we look in the mirror, whether it's what's happening with our portfolio, whether, whether we're getting the number of likes that we, we want. Okay, all those things. There can be a sense of panic. So our idol might be politics, it might be identity, or it might be personality. Now that's a picture of Elon Musk, if you, you don't know who that is. I, I have that picture up there, kind of throwing a bone to the younger generation, because he was listed as one of their primary icons. And, and so sometimes it's personalities. I used to do this, this thing when I would uh, lead youth retreats. I still do some youth retreats. But speak at a youth retreat, and when I really wanted to get the young people kind of on their edge a little bit, edge of their seat, I would start asking them what they were into. And specifically, I'd say, what's your favorite rock band? What's your favorite music band? And then somebody would mention a, a music band that, that maybe I thought was a little, eh, you know. And so then I wouldn't say that, that their band was trash, okay, because that would be like trampling on sacred ground to them, all right? But what I would say is I would say, what would you say if I told you your favorite band was trash? Now, realize what I did there. I didn't call it trash. I just said, what would, what would you say if I said, that's all it took? This person that had been quiet in, in the back row, all of a sudden is, is like on fire and like wanting to stand up and wanting to come at me. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're calling my group trash? And, and, and all that. And then I'd, I'd calm them down. Now, I'll pause for a minute. Whether it's a band whether it's a movie star, whether it's a sports team, except the Eagles. That, 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 that's okay. All right, no, no. Uh, all right. What, what, whatever you'd fill in the blank with that, would you be willing to defend that more than you would defend God? Would you bring more passion to saying, yeah, I'm going to support my political party, my rock band, my whatever? more than I would defend, passionately, with zeal, my God. If that's the case, that personality, that thing, might be an idol. Now, I promised us a, a, an EDP, and so 
we got through the, the I, and now we're going to quickly do the E and the P as our time runs nigh. And so, first, we got to identify. Second, we got to eliminate. We've got to eliminate. Now, I, I promised Merv this morning, and for those of you listening at home that don't know Merv, known Merv a long time, and he leads a, a group of people here at the church in between the services in further Bible study, and, and I know that they were going to be talking about the sermon, and I think that got canceled because of the sleep, but uh, there was an extra piece that, that I had just for that group to discuss. As we eliminate idols from our lives, I want us to, to, uh, to take a special look at this. In Numbers 21, and Numbers is another book of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. All right? and, and I say that for those of you that have been in church all their life, there's so many people that, that don't know books of the Bible and don't know stories in the Bible anymore. So whatever we teach, we have to be careful to help explain things. In the book of Numbers, chapter 21, we pick up listening about a guy that uh, we, we already started talking about today. A uh, little bit. Moses. And these people that he has, has led out of Egypt. And what happens is they're complaining. Like I mentioned that they were complaining before. They were complaining so much that snakes were sent to just quiet them. And these snakes were biting the people. And many of the people were dying. And then the Lord speaks to Moses. And he says, Moses, form a bronze snake and put it on a pole and hold it up. And anyone who looks at the pole when they're bit by one of these snakes, by vipers, when they're bit by the viper, if they look to the snake, they'll be saved. Now, I have to say, there's a bunch of things I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. One of them is going to be, what were you doing here? I, I don't get it. I, I, I could have thought of a whole lot of different ways for how to do this. But this is what God chose to do in that moment. And he speaks to Moses, and Moses does this, and the people are saved. Now, what's interesting is that that's the, that's the end of the story in Numbers. We don't hear about that snake again. We just read that God moved and worked. Now, what's interesting is you read through your Bible, you get to another book of the Bible, 2 Kings. And this is the fun part that I thought your class would have with this. But you go to actually chapter 18, and go ahead and read the first few verses of 2 Kings 18. I think you will be shocked and amazed to see what it is that you read. What you read is that Hezekiah became king of Israel. Now, Hezekiah was a good king, but he also was like the 35th king on a list of kings from the start of when the Israelites started having kings. And this came so many years after Moses held up this snake in the desert, but what it says is that Hezekiah went about eliminating the idols, taking them out, 
smashing them, eliminating them. And the first one that he eliminates is the bronze snake that Moses held in the air because the people had been burning incense to it. It means hundreds of years later, I couldn't even figure out how many hundreds of years it was because they didn't calculate years and and record them as well back then. But it was at least 215 years from the death of Solomon that this happened. And in between there, you had Joshua, you had all of the judges, you had additional kings. Hundreds of years, and the people were still burning incense to this bronze snake. Now, I bring this up because with our IEP, we have to identify our idols and we have to eliminate our idols. And some of those idols are generational. This idol had been handed down from generation to generation. And we read across the pages of Scripture of the people, of the Israelite people. And we read that they kept getting sucked back into these patterns of they were set free, but they didn't know how to live free. They kept getting pulled back. Finally, Hezekiah comes along and he says, enough. And God uses him to smash the idols. For us, it might mean going back in time, having conversations with those that came before us. Uh, We have the the honor and privilege of my mother living with us, and we can have conversations. Zach is here next to my mother. Zach can turn to my mother, and they can have discussions about stuff that came from generations ago because we have junk. We all do. We have systemic patterns of things that we have done generation after generation after generation, and we carry it along until we go before God and say, God, would you help us eliminate? Identify and eliminate the idols in our lives. IEP, uh, we identify, we eliminate, and then we position. We position ourselves in a place that we can take steps of freedom. That might mean accountability. It might be, uh, mean being part of a, a class like, like Merv Whitmer leads. It might mean having an accountability group. It might mean taking other steps, but you need to position yourself. I need to position myself in a place that other people can help me see that I have the idols. And that I have to be willing to eliminate them. Doing that on my own strength, outside of the Holy Spirit and the help of God working through others, doesn't happen. Those of you listening at home, awesome that you're listening at home. And I hope that you continue to do that if that is your your primary way of connecting. Please connect with a group of people that can challenge you. In the Bible, God doesn't speak to us about spiritual hermits. He speaks to us about the necessity of being connected to other people that love God and can help us and challenge us, and we can help them and challenge them on the journey. As I draw to conclusion, uh, in our closing, we've been set free. We have been set free by Jesus Christ. Now we have the opportunity to live free. 
God gave us these commandments not as this burdensome onus that he wants to put on our shoulders. He gives them to us because he wants us to live free. I use the example of an umbrella. And it's like God's umbrella of protection. If we're under that umbrella, we're protected. If we step out from underneath the umbrella, God still loves us. We've still been set free through Jesus Christ, but we've stepped away from protection. So we're on our own. We're not without love. God still loves us. But we go under the umbrella of his protection, his commandments that he lovingly gave us. And in doing that, we can not only be set free, but we can live free. Amen.